Welcome to Matters of Fact. I'm Christian Esguera. So Metro Manila and four neighboring provinces will remain on lockdown for another week at least. Not surprising given the surging COVID-19 infections mostly in these areas. But 12 people again have no choice but to abide by the strictest community quarantine classification this government could think of. They also deserve to know, so what's the plan? We'll talk about this later in the program and what the government has failed to do after more than a year into the pandemic. The Philippines records over 10,000 new COVID-19 cases for the third straight day. The country has logged an average of 10,465 cases a day over the past week, after 11,028 new cases were reported on Sunday. More than 135,000 are active cases. Two more people succumbed to the disease, raising the death toll to more than 13,400. But over 41,000 new recoveries were also confirmed, the highest since the pandemic began. Fab laboratories, however, were unable to submit their data on time. The country's positivity rate currently stands at 22.7%. The World Health Organization recommends a positivity rate of 5% or lower for at least 14 days before reopening the economy. Philippine Vice President Len Robredo says the Duterte administration should, should, should set goals after extending the strict lockdown in Metro Manila and surrounding provinces for another week. The, the government placed Metro Manila, Bulacan, Cavite, Laguna, and Rizal under an enhanced community quarantine or ECQ until April 11th or 11th, Sunday to stem the surging COVID-19 cases. Robredo says the government must have clear and strategic plans instead of announcing general directives for testing and treatment. She says authorities should ramp up COVID-19 testing and calculate how many beds are needed in hospitals that have reached their full capacity. Dapat lahat na ginagawa natin, merong, merong timeline, merong scorecard. Halimbawa, kung mag, mag, magdadagdag tayo ng one week, ano yung gusto natin ma-achieve hmm. sa April 11? Kasi ang sinasabi niya na naman, sa April 11, i-assess natin kung kailangan pang extend o hindi, eh, bumabalik lang tayo dun sa dati. For Marikina Representative Stella Kimbo, extending the enhanced community quarantine in the so-called NCR Plus bubble will be useless unless Malacanang changes its approach to containing the novel coronavirus. Congresswoman Kimbo now joins us this morning. Good morning, ma'am, and thank you for joining us on the program again. Good morning, Christian. Thanks for having me. Okay. It seems like we're seeing a cycle here since last year that whenever there's a surge in cases, the government imposes a strict lockdown. We're seeing it now with the extended ECQ in Metro Manila and four neighboring provinces. But at this point, are you seeing any clear plan, any difference with how this administration intends to approach the pandemic? Well, Christian, we have yet to wait for further announcements and instructions. But so far, from what I've heard, it's really more of the same, meaning... Um, um, everybody must stay at home, and then there's a listing of uh, which particular sectors are, are allowed to operate at uh, skeletal levels. But I think that we need to recalibrate or revise our approach, considering that um, one year after the pandemic started, um, we still continue to have very... Uh, high number of cases. So I think that uh, one way that we can consider is that um, uh, we can consider having what we call household lockdowns, meaning instead of closing down entire streets or entire barangays, what we can consider is to, to, to do the lockdown at the most granular, granular level, which is the household. And uh, how do you propose to implement that, the household lockdowns? Because that's quite understandable because right now we're seeing entire families getting infected. That, that's correct. So what we can do is um, for any household that would have, uh, let's say, one uh, COVID-positive individual, meaning tested by RT-PCR and confirmed positive, what we can do is um, the entire household would be uh, presumed to be covid so you first isolate um, the positive, the COVID positive individual. Um, of course, if it's not um, 
uh, feasible at home to do isolation, um, that individual can be taken to an isolation facility. And meanwhile, the rest, while waiting for their test results, can be presumed positive and therefore not allowed to leave the house. So okay. that's um, a very simple approach considering that not a lot of individuals um, have access to testing at this point. So we don't really have um, a very accurate number as to how many cases we actually have. But is that even possible in a lot of communities, especially for instance in Metro Manila, where you have houses, small houses or shanties uh, standing close to each other? I mean, how do, you, how do you make that realistic? Is that even realistic? Well, actually, it's um, even more realistic to uh, identify um, in, in smaller, let's say, barangays. Uh, so the barangay captains would typically have an idea as to which particular households um, would be affected. Um, well, one reason is because uh, typically the households would seek uh, assistance from the barangays. And so that's one way of um, sort of um, mapping them and keeping track of where they are. They are. And of course, um, to keep it effective and uh, feasible, what the barangay needs to do is, of course, provide assistance. Mm -hmm. You cannot just simply say nobody leaves the house when you are unable to provide for the basic needs um, of the household. So um, Ayuda should always come hand in hand with a household lockdown. Uh, but uh, do you think the LGUs can still afford that kind of support uh, after more than a year into the lockdown? Well, there's um, about 1.5 billion pesos uh, for LGSF funds that's authorized under the Bayanihan II. So that's uh, one possible source of funds. But of course, um, as you know, Christian, we, we in Congress continue to push for another um, economic stimulus package, or Bayanihan III. Yeah. And certainly, uh, the, the amounts needed for this kind of um, an approach can certainly be included. So this is one difference that you're proposing compared to what the government, the national government, has been prone to do, which is uh, ECQ. Although, to be fair, uh, after several months, they decided to also consider granular lockdowns at the barangay level, right? But you're proposing a more, even more granular lockdown uh, concerning the households, right? That, that is correct, Christian, because as you know, um, the biggest uh, dilemma that, uh, that we face is and we hear this often, that we have to choose health over economic recovery. What I think, Christian, is um, we shouldn't be choosing. I think we should look for ways so that we can actually achieve both health and uh, economic recovery objectives at the same time. And I think um, doing lockdowns at the household level is one way to do such. So you're able to control cases um, by properly monitoring and uh, making sure that proper care would be given to your few affected households. And at the same time, the economy outside these households can continue um, running. So I think this is one way that uh, both can actually work together. Okay, I'd like to take advantage of your expertise, your background in health economics. Uh, given what the national government uh, and even the local governments have been doing since last year, what do you think is the most uh, glaring um, approach, which is which has proven to be not correct, which is proven to be wrong? That's why we're stuck in this situation and we're facing an even bigger problem if we go by the number of cases today. Well, one is um, I'm really very frustrated with uh, the quality of reporting that uh, DOH has actually um, done so far, meaning we can't even figure out uh, the correct number of, of cases. And of course, as you know, in medicine, uh, if you are unable to diagnose properly, you cannot be you, you cannot treat your patient properly. So I think um, the first step really is um, diagnosis, meaning more or less um, accurate reports so that we know uh, we have an honest assessment of the situation. Um, right now, when, when the DOH um, announces cases, of course, uh, Christian, that would mean number of those that are positive in RT-PCR tests. Yeah. But as we know, not a lot of people have access to that. Um, RT-PCR tests continue to be very expensive at 4,000 to 10,000 pesos per test. And uh, more importantly, there are alternative ways. For example, um, I think more people are now using antigen tests because they are so much cheaper and are proven to be relatively um, accurate. Um, of course, the gold standard continues to be RT-PCR, but then um, many, many times, um, people who have tested positive in antigen tests um, don't opt to do 
confirmatory uh, through RT-PCR simply because it's just too expensive. So, so that's that's one. Um, I think that's one frustration. Um, something that the DOH has to continuously uh, work on is really more accurate reporting. But why haven't we done this uh, recommended number of testing a day, which is uh, 100,000 to 150,000 after more than a year into the pandemic? I think the government is just doing somewhere between 30 and 50,000 uh, tests per day. Why the disparity after more than a year? I think bottom line, Christian, is that uh, government really needs to subsidize testing. Um, as I said, it's just really too expensive. 4,000 to 10,000 per test is just way too expensive, considering that PhilHealth um, is not really that effective in terms of covering RT-PCR. And uh, at the same time, there are ways to do cheaper RT-PCR, like I've heard of do doing it uh, by pooling, but I've not um seen or, or heard the doh actually uh attempting to to do a uh a scaling up of uh pooled rt-pcr tests yeah because testing is a common problem since last year and if we're talking of a new approach um, given the extended ecq now what would be the big difference because even in your proposal to have uh, household lockdowns that would also entail a fish efficient testing and contact tracing but if we're still stuck to the same problem, insufficient testing and uh, inefficient contact tracing, we would still be stuck in this vicious cycle of ECQ, easing the lockdowns and then ECQ again. Well, I think one thing that can also be considered is to fully deploy our barangay health workers. In other words, um, for a granular approach to be effective, uh, meaning at the household level, you also need to be sure that at the barangay level, uh, meaning at the smallest uh, LGU unit, um, that are adequate resources, so not only in terms of money, but also human resources. And um, as far as I know, Barangay health workers have not been fully deployed. And uh, the thing with BHWs is that they're very trained to do um, precisely house to house. They, they, they're trained to do household mapping. They're trained to, to take um, vital statistics, for example, of individuals um, uh, in their homes. So I think they can be uh, deployed more um, if not fully deployed, but of course, uh, enabled to do that, we have to ensure that they are properly compensated. Um, they have allowances, they have what, what is called um, risk uh, allowances or hazard pay, and at the same time that they are protected. And in other words, we have to make sure that they are uh, inoculated. Yeah, I think there's no problem with, uh, with doing basic uh, stuff like that, right? Like taking vital signs uh, in the households. But I think it's a matter also of uh, trying to be efficient in deploying them. Uh, others are saying that uh, it's not... It's definitely not a problem when it comes to the dedication of our health workers, but the problem has more to do with leadership. Do you agree? Or management? Well, um, you know, when something is not working, at the end of the day, the one who has command responsibility is really the CEO in any uh, corporation. But but this is um, somewhat unique because it's... Uh, it's new, right? It's very new to us. So I think at this point in time, um, maybe we should just uh, focus our energies on uh, trying to, to, to think of uh, new ways, maybe experimenting. But, but in experimenting on uh, innovation, we have to make sure that we're able to, to do proper monitoring so that uh, in case uh, it's, it's working, then we can do more of it. Or in case it's not, then we can tweak. Um, what is currently being used. Okay. Uh, I'd like to go by your statement yesterday, the statement that you issued. Um, you, were, you gave a lot of reminders to the DOH, but one particular portion of that statement was quite interesting. You said that the DOH must accept at this point that the wheel is broken and it needs major fixing. Why is that, hap why is that not happening? Meaning the acknowledgement by the DOH that there's a problem with the approach. Well, I think, um, as I said earlier, it really boils down to diagnosis. Um, if, if we are unable to get uh, accurate reports of a uh, number of cases, number of deaths, for example, if you look at the number of deaths, yesterday we had uh, a reported two deaths um, and people were reacting because um, as many of us uh, know, there must have been more than two deaths because like uh, in my family alone, there was already one death um, over the weekend. So 
uh, and many people have been saying the same thing. So, so that's, I think, the situation, Christian. I mean, it's as basic as that. If we don't know the real situation as a number of infections and number of deaths, how do we know what to do next? Mm -hmm. and, and do you think that this is uh, primarily a problem uh, when it comes to the leadership at the DOH or this also extend, extends to a possible inefficiency on the part of the IATF? Because uh, over the past several days, we saw people calling for the abolition of the IATF. I don't know whether you agree with that, but is this solely a problem or mostly concerning the DOH? Or perhaps we need to talk about the coordination uh, among members of the IATF? Well, um, well, the way it's structured right now, so it's, it's, it's interagency, right? And so I suppose... Um, somebody has to crack the whip so there has to be somebody that's really um on top of things i think um the iatf is co-chaired that that's my understanding yeah so perhaps if the iatf would only have um one head that would uh, take into consideration not only the health objective but also economic recovery objectives uh, of course uh, considering uh, inputs from 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 various agencies i think um that might be uh that might help a bit is it a problem with structure or system because supposedly the doh should be on top of the situation within the iatf because they are the health experts there right uh, specifically Secretary Francisco Duque, but if you observe the dynamics happening within the IATF, it seems like everyone's looking up to President Rodrigo Duterte even to make the most basic of announcements, whether to extend or not a particular lockdown. So is it even fair to just look at the IATF or to be realistic about it, we should also look at the head on top of the ITF? Well, I think right now um, it's really very centralized uh, with the IATF. So I'm, I, I feel like um, uh, any improvement within the IATF will, uh, will, will, re will, I think, do much. So as I said, it doesn't make sense to have uh, co-chairs. I think there just has to be uh, a single head for IATF, but that head um, must consider both objectives, both health and uh, economic recovery. L lastly, uh, Congresswoman Kimbo, we've seen that uh, that kind of debate since last year, whether to prioritize health over economy. But based on the experience of other countries, which have been uh, uh, which have handled this pandemic much better, there should be no choice between an either-or uh, proposition, health or economy. In this case, how do you uh, drag the approach or direct that to the, to the right path in terms of actually making sure that we're still taking care of the economy as best as we can without uh, forgetting the important aspect of health, meaning balancing act. It's tough, but what can be the big difference this time? So as I said, you know, um, uh, a, an approach like uh, a household lockdown is one practical way by which you can achieve both health and uh, economic recovery. In other words, the entire economy does not need to stop. Then you choose certain uh, households which you need to, um, to lock down, right? Mm -hmm. So that, that's one way. But at the end of the day, I think um, the link or the missing link really is economic stimulus. Government has to spend more. The only way that, for example, um, individuals, families, as well as firms are expected to comply with minimum health standards is if they are provided assistance by government. It's tremendously expensive to comply with health standards at the firm level, for example, or even at the household yeah. level where you need to buy masks, um, alcohol, etc. Um, that costs a lot. Think about the public utility vehicles, the jeeps, the buses. It's very expensive to disinfect your transportation. Um, it's very expensive to put your physical um, separators between passengers. Yeah. The only way that that can all happen is if government spends enough. I think um, uh, subsidies uh, at this point in time, um, are, I feel, are really insufficient. And that's precisely why um, we have Bayanihan 3 uh, on the table right now in Congress. Um, we feel like uh, government must spend more, not only in terms of Ayuda. As I said, Ayuda is key for any uh, lockdown situation at the household level. But not only Ayuda, but uh, subsidies as well. 
uh, particularly wage subsidies uh, for MSMEs. Um, that way, if you defray, for example, the payroll costs of um, small businesses, then they can free up resources, for example, uh, to pay for uh, for masks, disinfection, etc. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, we know that the uh, the small businesses are very much hard up at this point, right? But for those members of the private sector that can afford, for instance, do you think this government uh, is making good advantage of what this particular sector within the private uh, sector could actually offer? It's in terms of uh, providing uh, vaccines later in the future to their own employees. I mean, the sense that somehow the national government approach is being too restrictive to the point of somehow keeping those who can afford from among the private sector to actually step uh, step up and offer much bigger help. Actually, Christian, from my point of view as an economist, no firm, whatever size, small or big, can afford. There, no firm. Why? Well, because this is... Um, a situation where um, any firm will always not pay enough because um, there are what we call externalities. Meaning, meaning, for example, in the case of vaccines, why will a private company fully fund um, vaccines for its employees when the benefit of vaccines will also redound to the society as a whole? In other words, you cannot expect any firm to fully internalize the cost of vaccines, right? They will always um, not spend enough as far as society is concerned. In other words, government really has to step in because it is a public good. Mm -hmm. So, so no, you know, it, the, the pandemic is nobody's fault. It's uh, no individual, no individual's fault, no individual firm's fault. And so that's the reason for why it's a public health crisis, in which case um, you need a public response that is sufficient. So I think the government really must spend enough. Um, I think um, it's not fair to, uh, to, to, to pass the buck to private firms and make them pay for um, vaccines for all their employees. Um, I think it's, it's the government's responsibility to do that. Yeah, definitely. But we know of certain companies who are getting uh, frustrated with the slow pace within the bureaucracy, the, the red tape, so they want to step in if they could afford it. Well, that, that's true. So even if government wants to, for example, fully finance um, vaccines for everyone, and in fact, that's what they keep saying, right? Um, yeah. The 2021 GAA has about 72.5 billion pesos for inoculation, and um, the statements that I've heard repeatedly is that that is sufficient to finance um, the inoculation of 70 million Filipinos. We, which is their target. So it would seem like perhaps the intent is there, but because of logistical problems, of course, um, people get impatient, right? And, and then, then you say, okay, if government is acting too slow, then I must step in and then pay for my own vaccines. Okay. So that, uh, unfortunately, is the situation. Okay, Marikina Representative Stella Kimbo, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Christian. Hospitals in Metro Manila are overwhelmed with the rising number of COVID-19 patients. One out of uh, every four Filipinos or people tested for COVID-19 turns out positive. Now, as a result, facilities for COVID-19 patients in hospitals in Cainta, Makati, and Pasay are 90% filled. There also, there's also no more room in intensive care units in hospitals in Cainta, Antipolo, San Juan, Malabon, and Bacoor. The Lung Center of the Philippines has temporarily closed its outpatient department with its oxygen tanks running out and its emergency room accommodating patients twice its capacity. But it continues to accept non-COVID-19 patients, especially those with lung diseases. We discourage uncoordinated walk-ins because they will risk waiting under the trees or inside their ambulances. Dahil wala na sila talagang paglalagyan sa loob ng emergency room. The Public Works Department is expected to add at least 1,000 more beds for COVID-19 patients over the next two weeks. But for the Octa Research Group, the number of isolation and monitoring facilities should be increased to help prevent household infections. More healthcare workers are also getting sick of COVID-19. Just last week, at least 110 employees of the Philippine Orthopedic Center tested positive for the disease. 
For more on this, we are joined by Sean Velches. He's the president of the National Orthopedic Workers Union. Good morning, Sean, and thank you for joining us on the program. Okay, so based on the information uh, that was uh, made public a few days ago, 110 out of 180 employees uh, tested positive for COVID-19. Is this still the figure that you have or more have tested positive? Since. Around uh, Friday or Saturday, uh, the hospital released uh, an official statement saying that na, na 117 actually out of 180 who were swapped last Tuesday uh, tested positive for COVID-19. So, mas dumami pa, no? But, but how's their yes. condition now? How are they now? At the moment, uh, according to reports, uh, most of them are asymptomatic to uh mild, uh, exhibiting mild symptoms. But how about those who are showing symptoms or are, are there even um, employees who tested positive who are critical now or in serious condition? We have noted uh, about two uh, among those uh, tested that are uh, at the moment confined in, in a hospital facility uh, because they are being treated for uh, severe symptoms. Okay, now how has this uh, situation affected um, the, the service coming from the Philippine Orthopedic Center? Has this actually crippled the, the operations? Actually, it does. Um, uh, nung biyernes, naglabas na po ng official statement yung aming uh, officer in charge, Dr. Uh, Michael Benzon, saying that because of uh, uh, these recent developments kung saan 117, uh, ay uh, nagpositibo sa COVID-19. Pansamantalang isinasara yung outpatient department, yung face-to-face -face consultation. At uh, isina, uh, ipinagpapaliban muna yung mga tinatawag na elective surgery o yung mga scheduled surgery. Although, mananatili pong bukas yung emergency room at yung emergency surgery uh, dahil ito ay kailangan at kagawin. So, so, how many people are left to attend to patients uh, in a given shift, for instance? Ilan pa naiwan? At the moment, um, well, as a backgrounder, wa, ang health human resource ng Philippine Orthopedic Center ay 1,300 uh, give or take. No? Uh, pero yan ay mula na sa mga specialist hanggang sa mga nasa support unit sa mga offices. At uh, uh, unfortunately, yung mga nag-positive uh, yung mga active cases natin ngayon ay yung stratification niya ay wide-ranging din mula mga specialists, mga resident doctors and surgeons hanggang sa mga office staff at mga allied health professionals. So talagang uh, stretch yung staffing at the moment pero um, kinakaya pa naman. Umabot ba sa point na baka pati yung mga consultants nagjujuti na because of the situation? Hindi pa naman. Dahil po kami ay isang training and teaching hospital, talaga pong nagjujuti po yung mga consultants namin upang gabayan yung mga kanilang uh, mga residents. Unfortunately, many consultants at the moment uh, tested positive also for COVID. Mm -hmm. So far, uh, what's the capacity um, of the, um, of the uh, Philippine Orthopedic Center? We are a 750-bed capacity hospital. But at the moment, uh, according to reports reaching us, uh, meron kami ngayong around 300 patients inpatient. Uh, dahil suspended na yung operation ng face-to-face -face consultation, so kasi yung, yung role kasi ng Philippine Orthopedic Center uh, during the pandemic, during the whole time na meron tayong pandemic, kami yung nag-absorb mm -hmm. lahat ng mga orthopedic patients ng mga malalaking hospital and they declare as COVID centers. So talagang walang pinagbago yung bilang ng mga nagpapakonsulta sa amin sa OPD uh, before and during the pandemic. So around 600 patients po yung tinitignan namin araw-araw sa OPD uh, mula sa iba't ibang dako ng Pilipinas, especially NCR and mga karatid. Kasi nga kayo nag-absorb ng mga hindi ma-accommodate ibang hospitals na ginawang COVID uh, referral centers, no? Pero in this yes. case, umabot na ba kayo dun sa point na you have to turn away patients? Hindi pa naman. We, it is uh, our mandate never to turn away patients. Actually, kahit nga punong-puno na yung hospital noon, uh, kung given yung consent ng patient, kung gusto niyang sa magantay muna siya sa pasilyo, 
habang nagaantay ng kama or habang nagaantay ng actual na room ay uh, ina-accommodate kasi bawal po kami tumanggi. Pero dahil po dun sa sitwasyon na we have to preserve uh, yung remaining na health human resource ng hospital, uh, while we uh, we do testing and uh, isolation of those who tested positive, minarapat po ng management na suspindihin mo na nga po yung uh, pagpunta ng mga pasyente for outpatient consultation. Now, prior to this move to suspend the outpatient uh, operations because of this uh, situation, 117 at least tested positive. Give us an idea of how difficult the work was, let's say, in a, in, in a given shift. How many patients usually uh, people had to attend to, for instance? In, in a given situation, ang 1 is to 20 to 1 is to 15 po kasi ang ratio. Halimbawa, I, I cannot kasi talk, uh, I can only talk about uh, halimbawa myself kasi I'm a nurse. No? Mm. Pero halimbawa po sa mga doctors, uh, just imagine uh, 600 uh, patients consultation at iilan lang kayong mga doctors. Ganun po yung sitwasyon sa outpatient department ng mga uh, nung mga recent na panahon. And ang problem, uh, wala namang screening for COVID ang mga pasyente sa atin. So everybody is welcome. Hindi ka tulad ng ibang hospital na hindi ka ma-admit kung uh, wala kang COVID test. Sa amin po kasi, nalalaman na lang namin na may COVID si patient o pag nag-exhibit siya ng symptom o kaya na, na swab test siya in preparation for their surgeries. So, uh, exposed na po yung, yung mga health workers pag uh, ganun na po yung sitwasyon. Ba bakit walang screening nung, nung mga panahon na yun? Dahil hindi po kaya ng uh, mga pasyente na magpaswab. Ang swab testing po ang pinakamura po ngayon ay 500 pesos. Wala naman pong libreng swab test. Kung may PhilHealth po kayo, pwede po kayong pumunta sa Red Cross o kaya sa isang mga private uh, hospitals na nag-accredit ng, ng swab testing ng PCR test. Pero kailangan nyo pa rin po mag-out-of-packet spending ng around 500 pesos. At hindi naman yung kakayanin ng aming mga uh, clientele dito sa Philippine Orthopedic Center na nasa mga pinakamababang strata po ng lipunan. Okay, so yun ang isang naging loophole dyan. Kaya siguro nagkaroon ng ganitong dami ng kaso no? among the health workers from the Philippine Orthopedic Center. So, dati, yes. wala, although, wala screening. Yeah, although we defer to the investigation being uh, done by the Regional Epidemiological uh, Surveillance Unit of NCR para makita kung ano ba yung mga gaps na uh, o kaya mga break-in protocols na nangyari bakit na humantong sa ganitong sitwasyon. Although, um, ang isa sa mga tinitignan din namin, yung mga health workers po kasi ng POC ay umuwi din po sila sa bahay at ang sitwasyon sa POC ay hindi kaiba o reflection lamang nung nangyayari sa sa outside no sa mga sa mga sambahayan o kaya sa mga komunidad. Oh, kasi nga may sustained community transmission na pero even then within the hospital there should have been uh, protocols like that pero you mentioned ang problema affordability hindi kaya ang shoulder ng pasyente. And as yes. far as you know nagkaroon ba na adjustment in light of this? Wala pang uh, update ang Department of Health because we are, we are a Department of Health facility. Kung tutulungan nila kami, hopefully po, uh, isa sa mga clamor po namin, maswab yung mga pasyente. Uh, hindi man at the point of care, ay kahit man lang po pag uh, na-admit po sila sa hospital dahil uh, mahaba po yung average length of stay ng isang orthopedic patient, umabot po ng... Uh, 15 to 30 days ang average length of stay. So, mahaba yung interaction ng mga health workers. Tapos sila din po, dinadalaw din po sila ng iba't ibang kamag-anak o yung mga nagbabantay sa kanila na galing din sa mga communities na hotspot ngayon ng uh, COVID. Kaya ang aming panawagan, kung kakayanin po ay bahagi ng mass testing na ilunsad, hindi lamang sa mga health workers, kundi po sa aming mga pasyente. Mm -hmm. Example siya, let's say mayroong pasyenteng na-admit sa, sa, sa hospital niyo, no? you said umaabot ng 30 days yung stay, for instance. Let's say uh, in the middle of the stay, nag-positive nag siya. Ano yung protocol? 
saan siya dinadala? Pag symptomatic ay symptomatic. We have a we have a, a COVID wing uh, na exclusive para sa ating mga pasyente na 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 test for COVID o kaya nag-exhibit ng symptoms ng COVID. So automatically po inaalis po sila sa mga wards nila. Sinusundo po sila ng uh, yung aming COVID team at binadala po sila doon sa aming COVID ward mm. hanggang po sila ay uh, magkaroon ng negative test. Finally, Sean, how about the health workers who test positive? Let's say dito, you're talking of 117, no? So, how about the benefits? Let's say, hindi sila makapasok, di ba? Let's say, they're in isolation. Natatanggap pa nila yung benepisyo. At ano ba yung benepisyo na kukuha nila? Unfortunately, uh, matagal na namin clamor sa Department of Health na tignan yung mga benepisyo ng mga health uh, workers, especially yung mga nag-COVID uh, positive. Kasi po, aking una, hindi naman nila kasalanang nagpositibo sila, pero hindi po sila nakakatanggap ng hazard pay. Meron po kasing uh, rule ang BBM at ang DOH na pag hindi ka pumasok ng 11 days uh, sa isang buwan, ay hindi ka natatanggap ng hazard pay which is 20% of uh, your actual salary. At yan ay tinatanggal doon sa mga naka-quarantine. Eh, ang quarantine period uh, para ma-declare ka na clinical recovered ay uh, 10 to 14 days. So automatic nawawalan sila ng benefit. Pangalawa, uh, under the Bayanihan 1 and 2, na merong dapat na maliban sa regular hazard pay, ay meron dapat na COVID hazard pay which is around 5,000 monthly. Pero pinanggal na po yun since uh, the middle of last year. Uh, isa pa, yung naging problema namin, kulang yung isolation facilities for health workers na nagpa-positive. Uh, katulad po nung experience namin last uh, week, yung aming mga health workers ay uh, umuwi muna sa bahay despite the fact na wala silang kapasidad na mag-quarantine dahil Uh, kulang yung quarantine or isolation facilities na pinoprovide ng Department of Health. Although uh, sa kabutihang palad po ay unti-unti na po siyang nasusolusyonan at the moment. Well, I hope that the Department of Health is watching or they will get to watch this, uh, this, this interview, these concerns that you raised now because it's really unfortunate especially for our health workers. Ikaw na yung nagka-COVID, hindi ka pa nakatanggap ng benepisyo. Kumbaga kasalanan mo pa na nagkaroon ka ng COVID kasi hindi mo pa na ko i-benepisyo mo, di ba? That's very unfair Precisely for the health workers. The irony is who will care for the carers pag sila naman yung nagkakasakit. At isa na lang po, Sir Christian, mananawagan din lang po ako na huwag naman po sanang i-discriminate ng ating mga kababayan, yung uh, ating mga health workers, especially to sa Philippine Orthopedic Center. Kahapon po kasi nakaranas na ng uh, discrimination yung maraming health workers natin. Ayaw isakay sa mga public transportation. Yung isa nating nursing attendant ay bigla sinundo ng uh, barangay nila dahil siya daw po ay uh, COVID positive despite the fact na wala namang test dahil lang siya ay nagtatrabaho sa Philippine Orthopedic Center. Alamin po natin yung mode of transmission ng sakit. Ang sakit po na COVID ay nakukuha ah, hindi sa pagdaan sa aming uh, ospital o sa pagsakay sa aming mga nakapigii na mga health workers. Huwag po tayong maniniwala sa fake news. Well, thank you very much for that, um, for, that con uh, for telling us your concerns because we hope that the government and the concerned agencies can really do something about this because you're often described as the real heroes in this pandemic, but you have to be treated as heroes, not just by the government, but by society as a whole. Thank you very much, Sean, for, for joining us in this uh, interview this morning. Maraming salamat sa'yo. Thank you. Joining us now is Interior Undersecretary Pimako Singh for more on the government's pandemic response, including the distribution of aid to workers affected by the stricter lockdown. Good morning, sir, and thank you for joining us on the program again. Yeah, good morning, Christian, and to your viewers, and good morning. More than a week ago, we were talking about the mayors who jumped the line, but uh, lately, they've been allowed to get inoculated because they are now considered as frontline workers. So what happens now to those who were issued show-cause orders for jumping the line before? Yeah, Christian, uh, during the IATF meeting, I made a query whether the policy was uh, prospective or retroactive. No? And it was very clear that the decision uh, 
uh, making our local chief executives as frontliners is prospective. So all those who jumped the line uh, prior to this decision will continue to be uh, ev uh, to be uh, uh, evaluated on their responses to the show cause order. So the investigation will continue, and if we find that they uh, their reasons or justifications are uh, not acceptable, then we will still file the necessary uh, complaint with the Office of the Ombudsman. So in all, officially, how many uh, were issued show cause orders? How many are under uh, investigation? Today, yeah, as of today, 13 mayors, one governor, one councillor, and uh, I think we'll be adding one more mayor uh, today. When are you expected to finish the investigation? Uh, hopefully uh, within the two-week period because uh, we'll have to constitute the legal team and hopefully we can get a representation from the Department of Health. And uh, hopefully by that time, uh, all responses are all in and evaluated. Then we can uh, decide already whether to file cases or not. Will something concrete actually come out of this investigation? Because this might be an exercise in futility given the situation now. And you're dealing with elected officials, they, they might say that they can come up with all the reasons or justifications for, for getting uh, vaccinated ahead of the others. Yeah, we, we have all the, the, uh, the reasons why they should be uh, prosecuted or filed uh, administrative cases. And we're very clear about uh, uh, the Department of Health uh, memorandum on the uh, priorities of uh, vaccination. And this is something that we'll have to uphold. And uh, again, uh, I cannot make any decisions or any uh, to preempt any decisions that we will make. But uh, let's just wait, wait after two weeks uh, when we've already finished all our investigations and evaluation. Okay, now let's talk about the extended uh, lockdown. Uh, the DALG is very much part of the uh, interagency task force and the government's pandemic response. So we are extended for another week in Metro Manila and four neighboring provinces. But the basic question is, what's the plan? What's the plan of the government? The plan really is to really expand and ensure that our capacities under the PDITR strategy are met. No? And we will be more stringent about this. And the local governments are very, very important. That's why uh, this morning we will be issuing a memorandum so that we can assist and assess our local governments, specifically here at the NCR Plus, no? uh, their capability of meeting the standards of the prevent, detect, isolate, trace, and uh, reintegrate uh, uh, model or uh, strategy of the government so that we will know to what extent we can help them in detail. Uh, again, what is important right now is meeting all these standards. We are now more stringent. In fact, uh, the main focus right now is really to increase their capacities to contract trace. And uh, we're very thankful that we might be getting additional 7,000 contract tracers for the National Capital Region uh, coming from the uh, Department of Labor and Employment. They, they have this stupid program which they can use to hire uh, contract tracers. So we're already increasing our capacities, including that of the uh, healthcare system. Uh, we've already increased the capacities uh, of the public and uh, private uh, hospitals in terms of COVID bed capacities. Uh, in terms of hiring for these increased capacities, I think in the last presentation, uh, the Department of Health has presented that almost 70% has already been filled up uh, for the for purposes of this increased capacity of our uh, healthcare system, and I do hope we continue to do that for this coming week, so that if the infections go down and we are not we are able to prevent or contain the spread to other provinces, uh, we, we can move down to MECQ after this week. So there's actually a plan, because the yes, concern yes. was this that um, that the default response of the national government was to impose an ECQ, but there's no clarity. And what's the assurance now? that all those things that you mentioned will be uh, accomplished this time? Because you've also been hearing that since last year, including, yeah, for instance, the increase in the number of contact tracers, the increase in testing, in daily testing. And we still haven't achieved what the experts yeah. have been recommending. Yeah, Christian, there was really a complacency. And uh, many, even the healthcare experts, have seen, seen that complacency, especially during the time when we started to talk about the vaccines. And uh, everybody was... Uh, so complacent that the spread came uh, came in even before we had to implement those uh, opening up of the economy programs and activities. So in other words, before it came, we had to close again. And uh, because of the spread, uh, we have to increase our capacities. Last year, the, the capacities were clear. We were able to meet and uh, were very, uh, uh, at, at this point, was just, our capacity was very strong prior to this new surge. So this is what we call the second surge. 
and uh, the second surge was bigger than last year. That's why we had to increase capacity. Are, are and the local sure? governors are very clear about this, and uh, we have, we need to know already the the weaknesses of certain local government units so that we can put in the help needed. The PDITR strategy has been very effective last year. We'll just have to expand uh, and be stringent in the implementation of of this PDITR. So we were doing a good job last year. Is that what you're saying? I I consider that. Uh, we did better if we compare this our, our response from other countries. And the fact that the numbers went down no, after August of last year continuously, I think we were fairly, I, I say, I think fairly successful in containing because in January of uh, this year, infections in the NCR only was at 314 until the second surge, uh, which made NCR infections 10 times more in early March. But, so but last really year, uh, oh, last year I remember the government was saying that they were building this uh, this number of uh, isolation beds, isolation facilities. They would increase mass testing because they were projecting that there could be a second surge, which is what we are seeing now. But even yeah, as we speak, we know that the number of uh, testing, daily testing, has not met what was prescribed or encouraged by the experts. And now we're left, let's say, with the with a lot of people scampering for hospital beds. So how come you're saying that uh, we actually did better last year, when in fact we're seeing oh, this now? We're correct. This was the, no surprise, the, right? Huh? The, the yeah. experts have been projecting these numbers over the past few months. Yes, this, the, this was the no same surprise. projections was also the same projections of the other experts outside of government, these health experts. But we never expected that, it will, that, that the surge will be more than that of last year. Uh, we, we have to remember that the healthcare system was already that strong as early as January, you know? and the preparation of the healthcare system was because we expected a, a, a vacation or holiday surge, even the translation, and it didn't happen. So in other words, the, the system was still strong until, uh, until the second surge came in the first week of March, but it went more than what was expected last year, and nobody expected this, including the other countries. So we are not alone in this kind of surge. France right now is already in their third or fourth lockdown for 30 days. And uh, I spoke to some people, uh, Filipinos there, and uh, they really didn't expect it, but simply have to accede to the uh, lockdown uh, imposed by the government nationwide in the in, in France. But I, I, I think the difference is how governments are responding to surges, right? Uh, and are we supposed to feel better that this is also happening in other countries? No, no, no. We should not be feeling better. But it's important that we react right away, no? Uh, right now, what we need are immediate and fast reactive responses because uh, this is a problem with which we cannot anticipate. Uh, we cannot, we do not know how the, the problem will move. We have no direct solutions right now except the vaccine. And uh, people need to be part of the whole solution itself by practicing minimum public health standards. And that's part of the whole uh, package that we will be imposing in the next uh, week or so. Okay. Now, uh, Undersecretary Dinsing, I'd like to go to your statement a few days ago. You were involved in this controversy regarding Lugao. Uh, what about? You, you remember the statement, right? Uh, you made the distinction yeah. between Silugao and Ang Lugao. This was, Correct. I think people are familiar with this, no? At first, I yeah. didn't, uh, I failed to make sense of that statement until people started talking about that. You were making a distinction between Lenny Robredo, the Vice President, and the reference to Lugao. Is that correct? Uh, correct. That was, uh, that was clear. Okay. And for uh, people who are involved in uh, politics, they know who the Lugo is, who is the Lugo. What, what prompted that statement? Why, why did you make that statement in the first place? Uh, you know, in the first attacking place, the vice you, president. Uh, if, you, if you hear the video, the, the barangay official was saying not ang Lugo, but si Lugo. And it made me remind the, the non-essential uh, statements and uh, of, of the president this past week attacking our government, making unvetted statements, uh, in instead of inspiring our country and encouraging us to work hand in hand for this, uh, to fight this pandemic, no? I, I think we are only the, the only country in the world where, where the rest of the world, both their administration and position are working hand in hand to fight the pandemic. And it seems that in our country, instead of the opposition helping out and encouraging even us government workers to continue to work, I think we are being being discouraged by attacking what we are doing. Uh, not to mention that the programs that she has been proposing has already been done by government, that's number one. She even made a statement that the standard protocol should have been uh, uh, 
protocols for travel should have been consulted with the local government. She didn't even vetted that uh, we. I met with the governors and the mayors, got their okay. got their uh, but, uh, inputs, and we even let them uh, speak their piece in the IATF before the standard protocols for travel will issued. Okay, but so under Secretary words, these are statements oh, that are unfair yeah. to us working in government. Okay. We need to be inspired and discouraged okay. right now. But aren't you too? Uh, aren't you being too sensitive with this? Sensitive to criticism, and isn't this isn't just isn't it fair to actually criticize how the government has been handling or mishandling this pandemic, even if the and, statements and are not coming from the vice president? Please. We're accepting that criticism, and we're doing our best. Again, this is a problem which has no solution on hand. No vaccine could be the solution, but it may not be. It ended up uh, this vaccine not to be that effective. So we're trying to do our best to contain and help everybody. Uh, much of us are, are really not sleeping much right now. We're working on weekends. I was working last Good Friday. I was working yesterday, uh, talking to, giving guidance to our provinces uh, and provincial officials, governors and mayors. So in other words, we need right now our encouragement, not criticism. And uh, uh, if they can give it to us, regardless of whether they're from the opposition or not, we'll take it. We'll take it. So you're willing to accept criticism, but not from the vice president? We're willing to take the criticism as long as it's true and it's verified. Yeah, Why be, not? Because given the, the, the scale of the problem that we are all facing now, don't you think your energy is better uh, is put to better use uh, compared to having to attack a vice president this way? I mean, just ignore it. Focus on what you're supposed to do. Uh, Chris, that's just a small statement that uh, they've blown out. No, In fact, in the, if you listen to the whole interview, that was only 2% of the whole interview. The whole 98% was to inform everybody that food is essential, including Lugao. And I even expanded it to, to, to explain the, 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 uh, the, the ECQ rules in that interview. That was only 2%. So okay. it was blown out by media. They control how media works, what they want to emphasize for the public to have an uproar or to react on it. Okay. So that's how, we, how our media works. Okay. Undersecretary Pimako Densing, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you, Chris. And that's our show for today. I'm Christian Esguera. You can listen to our interviews again on the Matters of Fact podcast available on Spotify, Google, Apple, and Stitcher. You can also get all the exclusive content on ANC's YouTube channel. Thank you for watching.